Welcome to your home inspector training. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic. As you do home inspections, one of the primary systems that you're expected to be up to speed on is the furnace. Now we're going to cover that in this segment. What we are not going to cover is boilers and radiators and other uh, less common types of heating systems that may be found. So this one is specifically gas-forced air. So as the home inspector, the first thing you're going to want to do as you walk up to a furnace is just take a look at furnace itself and what's around it. Are there combustibles near the furnace? So for example, if there was a flame rollout where the flame actually leaves the burn chamber and moves out into the living space, is there anything that could be caught on fire? I actually have photos from an inspection I did only a month or so ago where there was a number of combustibles, including a gas can, if you can believe it, stored right next to the furnace. This, of course, is going to be something that you're going to want to write up. Anything that's combustible, and especially anything that's as combustible as gasoline, you need to make sure that that's gone away. This happens a lot in apartments where Johnny Apartment Renter sees that space, and of course apartments are known for not having a lot of space, so they will jam the vacuum and the you know whatever else there may be into that space as tight as they can get it. You know, a little Johnny's toys or whatever may be in there that is combustible, that's the kind of stuff you're going to need to not only write up, but make sure that everybody is clear that that's not okay. Now, as the home inspector, your client is the buyer and not necessarily the seller. And it will usually be the case that if somebody's storing random toys in a furnace closet, that they'll be gone by the time the buyer gets to it. But still, if you talk to certain individuals who have legal background, lawyers, they will tell you that if you have knowledge of an item and you fail to deliver that knowledge and something burns down, you may have a liability, even if that might not have been your client. So I am not here to begin to go down that road of what the liabilities are, but let's just say that you have a moral liability or a moral responsibility. If you see a safety issue, then you really should make it clear to all affected parties. So now we're going into that furnace. We've cleared all of those sorts of issues. The next thing you're going to want to do is just take a look at the filter location I actually did an inspection where the guy was a certifiable genius. He had a huge home. It was about 8,000 square feet. Then he had this gorgeous backyard, and he had uh, a garage in back that was probably another 3,000 square feet. And it was buried, and all of the bells and whistles that we would all love a home to have, he had it. He, You could tell he made a lot of money. So... I was going through the home and, and, and doing that inspection, and I got to the furnace, and I noticed that the filter, it was about six and a half feet up. They were bringing the return air from the top because this, this was in his basement, and of course, he had about a 10-foot ceiling, even in the basement, but he had not changed that filter in probably at least five years. As a matter of fact, he was not even aware that the furnace had a filter, so this guy was a genius, but he was an idiot, and that's not that uncommon. You want to make sure that you identify that location where the furnace filter is and just see how good a job the homeowner has done in replacing that. 
Now, obviously, it is easier to replace a filter that you can see without having to do surgery on the furnace. What I tell my clients is the easier it is to get to the filter, the more often it gets changed. That sounds kind of obvious, but it's a hard, cold reality, and it's something that every home buyer should consider. You know, it costs money to have some HVAC guy put a slot in there for the filter, but it's probably more expensive to not have that placed in there because then the filter doesn't get replaced. I had a an HVAC guy tell me once quite some time ago that it is all about airflow. The more airflow you have in your furnace, the better off everything is, the more healthy it is, and the less of a heating bill and power bill that the homeowner is going to pay. So if you've got a healthy filter in there, there will be more airflow, and the bill at the end of the month is going to look much easier to pay than if you've got a filter in there that's a 1,000 years old. So you're going to want to take a look at that filter for those sorts of reasons. In addition, quite often I will see where Joe Homeowner, he wants to spend as little as possible, so he'll take a 30-day filter, and those things are just crap. And the reality is that nobody ever changes them every 30 days. He'll put the 30-day filter in and leave it in there for a year and a half. So you're going to want to make sure that you pay attention to that. In addition, filters placed in, for example, the side or bottom, especially the bottom of a furnace, are going to lift like a boat. You know, they may look like they're sitting there just fine on the bottom of the furnace when the return comes in from the base, but if they're not held down appropriately, as soon as air comes in, that filter is going to lift, like I say, like a boat, and the air is going to go around that filter rather than through. One sign you can see of that happening is that when air goes around a filter, it's going to look like a donut, and the middle of the filter is going to be clean, while the rest of it is going to be more dirty because that's where the dirty air is going. Same sort of thing can apply with a filter placed on the inside of a furnace as opposed to the outside. Now, if you place it on the outside, the air is going to actually push against that filter and force it to be in place where it needs to be if it's held appropriately. Now, on the other side of that plenum, what's going to happen is the air is actually trying to force the filter into the furnace, and then you're relying on restraints only inside the furnace to keep that filter in its location. Generally, based on my experience, that doesn't happen anywhere near as often as it should. You've got to have a good restraint placed well, and homeowners don't either have the restraint at all, and they usually don't get it placed well. So you'll have one side leaning out or whatever it may have. This all results, of course, in dust inside the furnace, inside the computer parts, the moving parts, the burn chamber, and all of this, of course, ages the furnace. Results in me writing a note that the furnace needs to be serviced. Before we leave the filter category, I want to just have you also be aware of the type of filter that you have. Sometimes you'll see a 4-inch filter, and that always makes me breathe a sigh of relief because those can last so much longer. I tell people that the 4-inch filter, again, depending on lifestyle, can last up to six months. 
So, for example, if you've got smoking in there, if there's a lot of wind in the area, if there's a lot of dust, maybe there's a construction zone in the area, maybe there's a hairy dog that is shedding all the time. If you've got those sorts of conditions, then a furnace filter needs to, of course, be replaced more often. If you don't have those, quite often you can get a filter to last a little bit longer. But again, it's what is unseen that's happening. And a person, even if the filter is a good one, you can't leave it there forever because you're going to get those pores clogged and then the heating bill is going to go up for the homeowner. Okay, you're going to want to pay attention also to the age of the furnace. Now, obviously, if you see one of the old beasts... Maybe you're seeing a home that was built in maybe 1942 or 1920 or 1908, and you've got this pot belly stove that has been converted. I want you to be very wary and make sure that you pass that thought on to the client that that furnace is long since done. And at minimum, you'll want to have it referred to a trusted HVAC technician. If the home is older than 1978, let's go 1980, there's a chance that you might see asbestos. Now, asbestos can take a number of forms, and there's a number of different kinds of asbestos. We're not covering asbestos in this segment, but if you see a whitish, it's an off-white tape, that goes around the ducts or is used at connections between the furnace and the duct system, pretty good chance that's asbestos. Now, what I tell people is that EPA, at least as of the year that I'm doing this podcast, EPA recommends that the first thing you do, plan A, is to leave that stuff undisturbed. And this is the kind of stuff you're going to want to pass on to your client as well, of course. If there is a chance that the stuff cannot be undisturbed. For example, it's on the duct. The duct is in easy reach of little teenage Johnny who's going to carve on it with his pocking knife or he's going to scrape it and use it for stuffing his frog jar or whatever it is. If there's a decent chance that it could be disturbed, then plan B is to protect it. Protect can mean to go to Home Depot or a place like that and get a roll of foil tape and just cover over it so that it's not visible and it's been protected. If that's not going to be enough at this house and you think little Johnny might still get to it, then plan C is to have it professionally removed. The reason why the uh, professional removal is plan C is because no matter how well it's done, there's still a risk of the stuff going into the air because it's being disturbed. So you'll want to pass that information on to your client as as relates to any asbestos duct tape. As you're looking at the furnace, you're going to want to take a close look at the burn chamber. Now, there was a uh, an inspection I did a number of years ago, it was probably 20 years ago, where everything about the furnace was just dusty, nasty. It, it's like it had been 10 years without any furnace filter at all. And so I wrote that up as a high priority, referred it out to an HVAC technician. And then a couple of weeks later, I get the phone call from the crazy client who said the furnace technician cleaned that out and saw a crack in the chamber and you didn't call that out and now I want you to pay for it. And of course, the whole paragraph was done with a whole lot more emotion than I just gave it. 
fact was that I did my job 90%. You know, I, I saw that we had a lot of dust in the chamber. It was too dusty to actually do the inspection myself. And, you know, there is a line, of course, between what an inspector should do or can do versus what the HVAC technician can do. So I, what I did right was I noticed that you had a lot of dirt in there. Another thing that I did right is I referred that to an HVAC technician. What I did wrong on that one is I failed to predict what that technician might say. And so where I failed her is to tell her that, hey, this technician might be delivering some bad news for you. So be prepared for that. So almost got it right. If the furnace that you're looking at has a ton of dust anywhere, if it's in the moving parts, if it's in the computer parts, if it's in the burn chamber, you at minimum should be referring that out to be serviced. It's always a good idea if you have a lot of doubt to refer that out to an HVAC technician. And if the home is over 30 years old or the furnace is over 30 years old, cast doubt as to its remaining service capacity. Now, a lot of the websites you see are going to say that a lot of furnaces will go out in 15 to 20 years. That may be true. Some furnaces do begin to go out in 15 to 20 years based on my experience. And it may just be the area that I live in. Maybe there's less dust, but it's very common for me to see furnaces that are going strong at 30 years. You're going to have to learn that judgment yourself. But if the furnace is over 25 to 30 years, you are going to want to cast doubt to the client and, again, refer that out to an HVAC technician who can give them a second opinion after he goes further than you can or should. So I'll put that on their radar. Now, the year on the furnace can be very difficult to get to. Quite often, if you look at the serial number, they'll bury the age of the furnace and the serial number, the first uh, few letters, it can vary a lot depending on what the make and model is. But it's hidden in the tag. And if you want, you can go to Google or you can, you can go to my website. And there is a document that identifies how to find the year on different brands of furnaces. So that's available to you. In many cases, just looking at it, you can get a pretty good idea. But you're going to want to take a look at that tag and see what that tag's going to tell you. Sometimes you can also tell the year just based on the maintenance schedule because if the HVAC technician was there and, you know, if there's an entry that says he did stuff in 96, 98, and 2000, usually he will also place an installation date on there as well. So you can gather that information from there. I mentioned looking at the condition of the furnace now, if it's not bad, what you can do, and this is a good way to make a hero of yourself, is to talk to the client who should hopefully be standing next to you and say that you can blow out a mildly dirty system with a can of canned air. And you can get that from places like Best Buy where the canned air is used for blowing out a computer. In many respects, a furnace is a computer because it's got a lot of the same sorts of parts. If it's bad, again, you can refer it out to be serviced professionally. Okay, combustion air, of course, is another one of the important parts of a system that you're going to be looking for. In an older system that is not a high efficiency, 
and high efficiency means 90% plus. So the older systems, the 80 pluses, they were often done in the 90s and 80s and earlier, of course. The requirement there is for an 8-inch diameter pipe to be brought into the room that has the furnace and water heater. And the purpose for that, and you'll, again, you're going to want to make sure you communicate this information. The purpose for that is to replace the air that is leaving through the furnace flue and the water heater flue. So what I do to illustrate that point is I say, look, the home is basically like a straw. Air can't leave one end unless it's being replaced on the other end. And when I provide that analogy, it makes sense to most of my clients. So what I say is that the purpose of the combustion air source is to provide the replacement air. And if that does not happen, then air can't leave. When the air can't leave, then you've got all the combustion products, carbon monoxide most specifically, that can't leave. And then they stay in the home and then everybody dies. So that is the purpose of the combustion air source. Now a homeowner will understand why it's important that they have it. Another one of the inspection points you're going to want to look for is the lower panel cutoff sensor. Now as you're taking off the top and bottom panels, the top panel is just going to give you access usually to the burn chamber and some of the other parts of the system. The lower panel is where the air is coming in. You got your plantum down there, you got the fan, etc. You got some other parts of the guts of the furnace. And when you remove that, the system should turn off. Can't tell you how many homes I've inspected where the lower panel cutoff sensor, they couldn't get the lower panel back on correctly, and so the furnace wouldn't turn on. So their fix was to tape that cutoff sensor down, and then they thought they'd fixed a problem when what they'd done is they just short-circuited an important safety system inside the furnace. Now, similarly, there have been times when I would get that angry phone call and somebody would call me up and say, you broke my furnace, it won't work. And what had happened in those two or three times is I had failed to get the lower panel cutoff sensor actually depressed adequately, and that was all it was. So one or two times I went out there and did that myself. Once they actually had an HVAC technician come out, and he noticed that that was not... Actually, the lower panel was actually back on correctly, but it still didn't depress the cutoff sensor enough, so the furnace wouldn't work. And that was a lot of drama so that's the kind of thing you're going to want to make sure you've got, again, in your brain so that when there's something that goes wrong, that's the first thing you're going to want to think of to make sure that, that that's right. Now, actually, I want to hit one more item back on combustion air. Your high-efficiency furnaces have their own combustion air. So they're going to have usually a 3-inch or 4-inch diameter PVC white pipe that is being brought from the exterior to the furnace. It's a direct line. You don't get into it. And then you got another exhaust pipe that's doing the same thing. There's air in and there's air out. This is all awesome because then you don't have the heat loss that occurs with just bringing a big old nasty 8-inch diameter line into that room. So if you see that you've got a high-efficiency furnace, the combustion air base is covered for the furnace. Now, quite often, the water heater will still be in there, and so it will still require a combustion air source. 
but no, maybe not. Maybe the water heater will be in there or in a different room or whatever. If you've got the high-efficiency furnace and it brings in its own combustion air, of course, the diameter on the water heater will be smaller. Now, there are a set of calculations that are done that indicate the required size of the combustion air source, and they are way beyond what a home inspector is expected to do or know. So what you're doing is you're kind of shooting from the hip as the home inspector, and you're expecting to see a 6 to 8 inch diameter pipe from the exterior into that space. But the rule is not 6 to 8 inch diameter, it's figure out the calculation and nobody really wants to do that so they go with 6 to 8 inch diameter. Be aware that code, at least as of the year that I am doing this, calls for the calculation and so you're going to want to be a little bit less dogmatic in the way you describe that as part of your inspection. Okay, manual shutoff is another part of the furnace that you're going to want to be paying attention to. It's important and it's required by code. Actually, we're not code inspectors, so let's use a different word. It's, it's required by building standards. And that manual shutoff is an item where you can turn off the power to the furnace while you're either repairing or maintaining or whatever you're doing, inspecting. That should be there. If it is not there, that is an item to write up. It can be very helpful because, for example, if a furnace or an air conditioning system is on and you're trying to pull that lower panel cutoff you know, out or if you're trying to pull the furnace filter out, if it's on, it can be a real bear to try and get things to come off and come out. You turn that manual shut off, off, and you're golden. You can do what you need to do. Be aware, of course, that that manual shut off is usually about three feet high, well in the reach of three and four and five year olds who like to flip switches. So again, if something is going wrong, that's one of the first places you're going to want to look to diagnose issues. If it goes much deeper than that, then you just refer it out, HVAC technician. Now, uh, another way to make a hero of yourself is to talk about the value and importance of the cold air returns. So let's say that you're inspecting, for example, a two-story home. So you've got a main floor and upstairs and a basement. Let's also assume for a moment that you have one furnace that's trying to do all of the above. First thing you're going to want to mention, of course, is that that one furnace is not going to be able to do a consistent job in heating and cooling all three of those levels and that it might be a good idea for and save money for be a lot more effective and efficient for the homeowner to split that up and have the upstairs be its own system. And that's great. You know, that's a good piece of information to provide along to your client. But another thing you want to look for regardless is how many cold air returns do you have? You can tell a lot about a builder by what he thinks is important. Sometimes they'll put in a lot of insulation, but they'll completely forget about drainage management. And then the house fills up with water. And then the builder looks like the idiot that he is. Same sort of thing applies to your HVAC system. You should have as many cold air returns as you can get. For example, what is not okay on a two-story house with a basement is to have one cold air return in on the main floor and have that be an attempt at sufficing. 
it is always awesome to have a couple of cold air returns, maybe on the main, maybe a couple in the basement, maybe one or two upstairs. You know, if that's certainly not a requirement, but it would be awesome to have that. The reason why cold air returns are so important is because that's how the circulation happens. Quite often in the older homes, you'll get, say, one cold air return. And what I'm about to tell you actually happened in my house, but you'll get the heat in the bedrooms, you'll get the cold air return outside, and in the hallway behind that bedroom door, and then things start getting ugly. So what happened in my home, it was a two-story, and we had the, for a while at least, we had the thermostat out in the hallway in the second story. And this particular home had a separate heating system for the upstairs and then another one for the main floor in the basement. That, of course, is better, but it still can have its potential issues. So in this case, what was happening is the bedrooms were all upstairs, and so we left the main floor furnace, we turned that way down. The thermostat for the upstairs space was measuring that measurement that was turned way down. And as a result, it was sending heat into all the bedrooms. So the bedrooms in the middle of the night were 85, 90 degrees, but the hallway just outside was 60 degrees, and so it just kept pumping heat into those bedrooms. I had some very interesting dreams, and I'm not going to go into those, but let's say that my wife laughed at me a lot and keeps telling the story. As a result of that, the change that I made was to actually move the thermostat into the master bedroom where now the temperature inside the bedrooms was being measured as opposed to the temperature outside in the hallway. That sort of thing can happen in a lot of the two-story homes or in basically any home that is being measured. It can also, of course, be extremely helpful for the cold air return to actually be in the bedroom too. And then you're not pumping the heat in again to the bedrooms and then pulling cold air out of somewhere else where it's not necessarily the same air that's being delivered and removed by the same system. So you can certainly make yourself a hero as you talk about the value of cold air returns and you notice where those are going to be. If you start getting into meth remediations or meth testing, and you should certainly be talking about meth testing with your clients when that happens, and we're going to cover that in a different segment where we talk about meth. But the cold air return is a very important part of meth testing as well because that's where all the air goes, and so that's where the greatest contamination is going to be, and that's where you're going to want to sample. Yeah, the cold air return can be a symbol, actually, of meth sampling. It's going to make you very much aware of those cold air returns as you go about doing your inspection and your sampling. Another part of the furnace that you're going to want to be paying close attention to is the heart of the furnace itself, the burn chamber. Now, you are not expected to, nor should you, actually start you know, using tools and et cetera to get into the burn chamber. The only tools that you should use to inspect the burn chamber would be your flashlight. You know, whatever you can see without doing surgery on the furnace is the level of inspection you should do. In addition, you can also use a carbon monoxide meter to 
check the carbon monoxide meter on that day to check the carbon monoxide emission on that day from the furnace. If there's any questions, again, you're a home inspector. You're not an HVAC technician. And you are limited to what you can do with your eyes and your hands without trying to pretend that you are certified in all things by every organization. I guess one of the rules that I would use is that you're not there to change the house at all. And be very careful as you're doing that sort of thing. You can take the front and back, the top and bottom cover panel off, but that's about it. So now you're looking at the burn chamber. And let's say that you see there's a few different inspection points in there. One is, do we have a crack in the chamber? If so, then that's an obvious write-up they need. That's a high-priority safety issue. They, you need to become very clear on, on you know, that that is not okay, and that, that means the furnace needs to be replaced immediately. Now, uh, of course, as inspections go, things are rarely that black and white, Quite often you'll see a burn chamber that looks like it wants to be done, but is not yet. And so then you've got a judgment call to make. And it's tough to say that just because something is looking a little bit ragged that it has to be replaced, but you can certainly use terms like this chamber is looking aged, it should be reviewed by a professional. You can say budget replacement, or plan for replacement, that sort of thing, where you can be clear that you know it doesn't look good, but it's still functional today. And again, I mentioned briefly that you've got a carbon monoxide meter. You can use that at the heat vents to verify that there's no carbon monoxide coming out that day. That is an important part of your inspection equipment. It's a little bit spendy, but you're going to want to have it. One final way to make sure that the client is well served is to actually look at the flame itself. Now, a well-adjusted flame is going to be a solid blue flame. It's not going to dance, and it's not going to change colors a lot. By contrast, if you see a dancing, maybe yellow flame inside there that changes colors a lot and looks like it's being blown around, the gas-air mixture is not what it should be and should be reviewed again by a professional HVAC technician. So that's another one of those items you're going to want to be paying attention to and passing along as part of the inspection. Of course, the more value that you can provide, the more impressed your client's going to be, the more well-served they're going to be, and the more they're, they're going to appreciate you out loud to their friends, to their brother-in-law, to their real estate agent, etc. This is good business. It results in orders rather than calls from people where they're saying, sell me on why I want to do business with you just makes business a whole lot easier to do and then of course your price can go up and you can spend uh, a lot less time and grief on talking people into stuff and more time actually making money and more time fishing after you're done making money now let's just review a little what i have told you in this segment we've talked about gas forced air furnaces we've talked about the filters paying attention to the filter location the filter type, the filter condition, 
taking a look at the age-related factors associated with a furnace. We've talked about asbestos, taking a look at the burn chamber to see if it is damaged in any way. If it's over 30 years, 25 to 30 years, cast doubt as to the ability of that furnace to continue to serve reliably and make sure that information is passed on. We've talked about how the year is hidden in the tag and there's ways to identify that. Sometimes there's other ways to do it as well. We've talked about that. We've talked about the condition, inspecting the condition of the furnace and that if it's not bad, a person can go with canned air from a place like Best Buy and we've also talked about how if it is bad, and this needs to be done regularly anyway, but the furnace should be serviced professionally every couple of years, again, depending on use. We talked about the kinds of conditions around a home that can affect uh, how often a furnace needs to be serviced and how often a filter needs to be replaced. We talked about whether the home has pet hair, whether there's smoke or dust from maybe a construction site, those sorts of things that end up in a filter, hopefully, and when they don't end up in the filter, they end up in the furnace, the combustion chamber, the moving parts, the computer parts, all those things, how it ages those. We talked about combustion air and its important role in making sure that the homeowner doesn't get carbon monoxide poisoning. We talked about the two panels, especially the lower panel cutoff sensor, the manual shutoff valve, the cold air returns in the house and how they provide additional comfort for the homeowner and what happens when they're not there. We also talked about location of the thermostat and the burn chamber itself, the inspection points that you can find in a burn chamber and how you can add value to the homeowner by inspecting that and communicating that knowledge. So there obviously and always is more information that you can learn. For more information, you can always go to my website, homemedicusa.com. Internachi is a awesome place to gain more information. Nachi.org is their website. At least it is as of the year and, and time that I'm doing this recording. Very good stuff there, meant for home inspectors like us. And as always, let's finish this thing up. You're trained to a kindergarten level on furnaces. So take care of your clients. Make sure they are well served by the time that you leave. Make sure they have all of their questions answered. Go out there. Make me proud.